Good morning. Welcome to Park Church. We are glad that you are here with us on this final Sunday of 2019. My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And really, it's my honor, it's my privilege to be able to speak with you as we kind of wrap up 2019, as we wrap up the Christmas season. Uh, speaking of 2019, looking back on the year, how was it? Good? Was it a good year? Was it, was it, a, was it an okay year? Was it a hard year? Was it a hard year? Was it a year that you um, are proud of? Is it a year maybe that you'd rather forget? Is it a year that maybe you're still picking up some of the pieces, even though we're about to go into the new year? It's interesting, working here at the church, um, I have the opportunity to hear a lot of the stories of what goes on in the lives of people who come here, in your lives. And in a lot of ways, from my perspective, 2019 seemed like a really difficult year for a lot of people. It, it, it felt like a hard year for a lot of you. Um, sitting in my office, I've heard about the losses that you faced. Um, some expected, some, some unexpected. And, it, and it's hard. And I've heard about the marriages that are struggling, that are, that are broken, that are breaking up. And it's, it's tragic. It's hard. And I've heard about those of you who are struggling with work and how overwhelming it can become and what to do next. And, um, I, you know, you don't want to sacrifice all that you've built, but you also can't go on like this. And I've heard about the people who are, who are struggling with addiction and the people whose family members are struggling with addiction. And the kids who are facing things at school or just at life that are simply too big for them to face. And then the parents who are struggling to help those kids face those things. I've I've heard a lot of that over the last, over the last year. It, it seems like in some ways it's been a difficult year. For some of you, it's good, and it's been a great year, and hopefully that's true. But I imagine for each and every one of us, we can think of a time in our lives, whether it was this year or a season in our life, where once we've been through it, we're just like, oh my gosh, what was that? I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's over, but God, what, what the heck was that? And in times like that, we start asking questions of God, like, God, where were you in that? Did I do something wrong? Because it feels like I'm being punished here. Did you forget about me, God? What, what was it and what, what good could possibly come from that time? But then on a day like today where we're working on turning the page from one year to the next, from 2019 to 2020, I imagine for some of you, you're a little nervous to turn that page because you're just not quite sure what 2020 will have in store. And you're still kind of sad about 19, and you're still kind of struggling with it. You're still picking up the pieces from 2019. If any of you this morning are in that spot, or um, if you've been in that spot before, or you will be in that spot in the future, the thing that you need more than anything else, it's this. You need hope. Anytime we're facing a future that we're not quite sure what is going to happen, what we need is hope. And if there's one thing that Christmas shouts at us, if we're willing to listen, it's hope. And so to wrap up the Christmas season, to wrap up 2019, and to look forward to 2020, um, I want to leave you with a word of hope. And so it's, it's, it's after Christmas now, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story that happened just after the first Christmas, a few weeks after the first Christmas. And it happened in the city of Jerusalem. Um, as was customary at the time, when there was a baby boy born, um, mom and dad and the child would have to go to Jerusalem and do a sort of purification for mom and a sort of dedication ceremony for the child. And 
Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, were good Jewish people. And so that's what they did about six weeks after Jesus was born. They go to Jerusalem. And that's where our story for this morning sort of uh, puts us. It's written, it's recorded by a man named Luke. He wrote all about Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection. And here's how it goes. Luke writes, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit was sort of God's presence with him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So the scene is this man, Simeon. He's a good guy. He's righteous and devout. He's one of God's people. One day God whispers in his ear, Simeon, I'm not going to let you die until you see what you're looking for, until you get what you're looking for. Until that happens, until the Lord's Messiah, the consolation of Israel, until it comes, I won't let you go. And so day after day, Simeon goes into the temple. He looks around and he says, where is the Messiah? And he doesn't see him. And he's probably an old man at this point. He's probably been doing this for decades upon decades. Imagine that. And for decades and decades, he goes. And every day he goes, he doesn't find the Messiah. And he goes home a little disappointed, except for one day. And that's our day. One day he goes in, guided by the Holy Spirit. And Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was, what was uh, customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. And I can't not but think of that scene in The Lion King where he kind of takes Simba, right? And like, like all, the whole kingdom, he's like, look what I got, right? This is the kid. Um, takes him in his arm, praises God. And he says, Master, he's talking to God, now you're dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. God is faithful to what he has to say. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm holding them in my hands, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. Light of, of, for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Do you know what this child, what the Lord's Messiah, what Jesus represented for Simeon? He represented hope. All that Simeon was hoping for, all that the people of Israel was hoping for, it's right there in that child. And the way that Luke captures all of it is in this phrase right here. It's in the phrase, the consolation of Israel. This phrase, it captures the essence of everything that God's people were hoping for. It captures the essence of what Simeon was hoping for. And as we dig deeper into what that phrase means, I think we will find that what they were hoping for is what we ought to be hoping for too and what we can hope for because uh, Jesus is born. Especially for those of us, for those of you who are going through a season of life or have been through it where you're saying to yourself, God, what the heck? Where where were you in that? So let's dig deeper into this phrase. What, is it, what does it actually mean? Um, consolation, you know what that word means. It's, it's comfort, but it's especially comfort in, the time, in a time of loss. It's comfort when you need it, right? It's a shoulder to cry on. It's the hand to help you when you've lost something and you don't know how to go forward. That's what, that's what consolation means. And for God's people, for the Jewish people, what was the loss? The loss was God himself. The loss was God because at this point in their history, they were asking questions like, God, what happened? God, where are you? Where were you in this? Um, and there's a huge backstory to it. And I'll give you kind of a snapshot of it. About 600 years before Jesus was born, um, 
God had been warning his people, you have to turn around. You have to stop doing what you're doing. You're doing all kinds of evil, wrong, bad things. You're hurting people. You have to stop doing that. And if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to have to punish you. I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, have to give you a timeout. And like a really bad time. You're going to be grounded for like a, for a long time. And he sent prophet after prophet, person after person into God's people to warn them. And they didn't listen. Leader after leader, priest after priest, king after king. They didn't listen. And so God, God punished them. And he allowed for a nation called Babylon to come and really just wipe, wipe clean the people of Israel. I mean, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple in the middle of Jerusalem. The temple was the place where God lived. I mean, that was, that was, that was the center of the universe. And these Babylonians came and destroyed it. They slaughtered countless Israelites, and the rest they carried back to Babylon as sort of prisoners. And for 50, 60, 70 years, God's people survived as prisoners in Babylon, in another, in another land. Finally, um, the Persian Empire, a different empire, came, conquered the, Babylon, the Babylonians. The Persian king said, you Israelites can go back home. But for a lot of them, I mean, like they had had grandchildren in Babylon. They weren't going to leave, so a lot of them stayed. A lot of them didn't want to go back to Israel because they knew what that was about. So they went elsewhere, and then a few of them went back to Israel. They went back to Judea, to Jerusalem. And what they found there was a city that was destroyed. But they did their best to kind of rebuild. It was under Persian control at that point, And they kind of gave them the resources to, to like rebuild, um, to rebuild a tiny kind of cheap knockoff replica of a temple that really um, was only a constant reminder that, that God wasn't in this because God wouldn't have a temple like that. And they were, they were under Persian rule. And if they were under a different rule, it meant that God wasn't ruling. And then after the Persians, the Greeks came. And after the Greeks came, the Romans came. Up until the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire was there. And all of that foreign occupation, Gentile, non-Jewish occupation, what that meant was that they're in charge and God isn't. His temple is, is it's weak, it's a, it's a cheap knockoff. The city is not what it used to be. Where is God? It seems like God has abandoned. Are we still being punished for this? Has God forgotten about us? What good could possibly come from this? One of the prophets back then actually asked the question, or actually said, you know, the Lord, he will return to the temple suddenly. And what that implies was that he wasn't there now. It seemed like God had abandoned them. And so when we ask, why did Israel need consolation? It's because for 500 years they've lived in this situation where they're not quite sure where God was. They're not quite sure if God was still around. Was God still, was God still on their side? This phrase, consolation of Israel, this is a phrase um, that Luke didn't just make up. This is a phrase that he really takes out of one of the prophets that wrote at the very end of what was called the exile, right? As, as, as the Israelites were coming back out of Babylon into Jerusalem, um, this prophet named Isaiah wrote. And the section that he wrote at that time, it was chapters 40 through 55. And what that section of Isaiah is actually referred to as is as the book of consolation, because in that little bit of prophecy, those 16 chapters, God speaks through Isaiah words of comfort that his people needed to hear. And in that section, there are three key moments that the word comfort, the word consolation comes up. And if we could hear those three key moments, just like they needed to hear them back then, if we could hear them, 
um, we could hear the comfort, the hope, the consolation that we need. So we're going to look at those moments right now. It begins, and the whole section of Isaiah begins like this. Comfort, oh comfort my people. It's why it's called the book of comfort, the book of consolation. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, for she has, she has served her term. Her penalty is paid. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. When you come to this, and you ask the question, what does this have to do? What does this comfort have to do with? It has to do with payment for sins. And Jerusalem, uh, the Israelites, they were in exile in order to pay for their sins. And here comes Isaiah announcing to them, good news, uh, the term is up, you've paid your penalty. But 500 years later, it still feels like they're paying their penalty. It still feels like they're being punished. And they're wondering, what happened here? I thought, I thought it was up. I thought that was a term. And the good news that Isaiah announces to them, I mean, see it again. She has served her term. Her penalty is paid. The reason that Jesus was such good news to a man like Simeon, righteous and devout as he was, was because he knew that in this child, this prophecy would finally come true. It would finally be real. That the penalty is paid, the term is up, the prison door is open, and you don't need to go back into it anymore. I know that for a lot of us, for a lot of you, you look back at that season in your life and labor under the weight of the question, am I still paying for what I've done? Is this still a penalty for the sins that I have done? And listen, I want to say it as clearly as Isaiah said it to them. I want to say it to you, the penalty is paid. We no longer pay for our own sins. Because uh, what Simeon knew was that this child, this baby in flesh and blood, would one day grow up, he would be nailed to a cross, and through his flesh and blood, the penalty for your sins, for our sins, the sins of the world, would be paid. If you are laboring under the weight of the idea that you are still paying for something that you've done, it is time for you, like the Israelites, to be liberated from that weight. We don't pay. Jesus has paid, and it's good news. And I want you um, to have that hope going into 2020. The next piece. The next piece comes from uh, chapter 49, and it has to do with the question, did God forget about us? And this is a question that we've all asked, right? Because we've been in Babylon for 50, 60, 70 years, or we've been under this foreign rule for 500 years, or you've been suffering like you have um, for weeks, for months, for years, for the last decade, for whatever the season of life. Did God forget about us? Did God forget about me? It's a question we all ask sometimes. And look at, look at Isaiah, look at God's word to us in this. God says, sing for joy, O heavens. Exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. And that's, that's hard for you to do when you're suffering. It's hard to sing these songs when things are not good for you. He writes, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his suffering ones. And at this time, Israel was still suffering. The compassion was impossible to see. And one of the best things about scripture is that um, it's not afraid to talk back to God. And so they talked back to God. Zion, uh, Israel, God's people said, but, but the Lord, you've forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Did God forget about me? 
This is a question I'm sure all of us ask at one point or another. And listen to the way that God responds to this. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Could you imagine a mom forgetting her child? It's hard to imagine. It actually does happen, though. I mean, you hear about those stories of people leaving their kids in cars and going into, you know, shopping. Like, that actually happens. Could you imagine, though, a woman forgetting her child while she's, like, nursing her or him, right? It's like, it's hard to imagine. I've never nursed a child before, but from what I understand, I've seen it a bunch. From what I understand, it's, it can be quite painful, right? It's not something you're going to forget, but even that. You can fall asleep while that's happening. In a sense, you can forget that that child is nursing. I mean, it's really because you've been up for four straight days and haven't slept, and that's not totally understandable. But um, even that. But what God, what God says is, even, even if moms would forget their child, which sounds so outrageously unbelievable, right? I will never forget you. Because I've inscribed you on the palms of my hand. I have written you on my hands so that anytime I do work, I see you. Your walls, God says, are continually before me. And he means the walls of the city. And the walls are the things that give people their form. It also is what gives people their protection. Because there's all kinds of enemies, invaders, coming at you to get you, to bring you down, to tear you down. And God says to each and every one of us, look, your walls are before you. I see you. I see the danger. I'm not going to let anything strike you. I see it. I will not forget you. When Simeon lifts this baby in his hands, it's proof, living, breathing, nursing, spitting up, pooping, proof that God will not forget. Because not only did God not forget, but God came in person. Because what this baby is, isn't just a baby, but it's actually God in the flesh. God will not forget about you so much that he came to be one of you, to be with you. He will not forget about you. That option has been removed because of what God has done at Christmas. There are seasons of life where it will feel like God forgets. There will be. And there will be seasons of life where other people will forget, where people will fail you. That will happen again and again. But there will not be a time in your life where God will actually forget. It just won't happen. And um, that's that's the hope I want to leave you. Uh, that's, that's the promise, the truth of Christmas. That's comfort. And the last use of this word in Isaiah, it comes from the 51st chapter. And listen to how uh, God talks. He says, listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. And he's not talking about himself. He's saying, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he, Abraham, was one, was but one when I called him, but I blessed him and made him many. He's saying to his people, remember where you came from. You are children of Abraham and Sarah. And that means nothing to you if you don't know who Abraham and Sarah are. Abraham and Sarah were the first Jewish people. They were the first Israelites. The very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, um, Abram at the time, he wasn't Abraham yet, he's just hanging out farming, and all of a sudden, God out of nowhere comes to Abram and says, Abram, get up, come and follow me, and I will, I will make you the father of many nations. You, 
and your wife Sarah, I will bless the entire world through your seed, through your offspring, through your children. I will take you and I will make you the father of many nations. Every family on earth will be blessed because of you. And this is, this is wild. It's a crazy thing for God to do. And it's, it's unbelievable. And it's also nuts. Because the only thing we know about Abram, Abraham and Sarah is that Abraham is too old to have kids and Sarah's womb is barren. And she can't have kids. The only thing we know is that they cannot have children and God is saying to them, through you and your child, uh, we'll bless the entire world. How does this make sense? What God is saying to Abraham and Sarah in this moment, listen to this, is I know that this doesn't make sense. I know that you can't see a way out. I know that for 80, 90 years, you have suffered under the weight of childlessness. I know how hard it is. I know that your womb is dried up. I know that Abram's simply too old. I know that, but I want you to trust me anyway. I want you to believe anyway. And Abraham believed. Hoping against hope, hoping against all odds, Abraham actually believes they have the child, they have many children, and through them, the nation of Israel, um, the world, Jesus, comes. What he's saying to his people here at the end of exile is remember where, where you come from. Remember who you are. You have belief in your blood. You have it in your blood. The ability to hope even if everything looks to the contrary. Even if none of it makes sense. Even if you look at what you're going through, what you've been through, and say, God, where were you in this? What, what good could possibly come from this? It's in your blood to hope, to hope like that. Listen to how God continues. He says, for the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort his people. He will comfort all of her waste places and will make her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the voice of the song. Imagine thanksgiving, joy and gladness for the stuff that you have been through, for that, for that season of your life that you wish never happened. Imagine, imagine that for a moment. The scene that he's picturing here, take a look at it. Waste places. This is um, Chernobyl. Places where nothing can live. Places that are, that are purely not, um, not good anymore. Wilderness. The wilderness in those days was not some exciting, fun place to be climbing mountains. The wilderness was the place where you died because there was no safety and there was wild animals and there was no food and you would starve to death. The desert is the desert. It's dry. There's no life there. It's just death ahead of you. Waste places, wilderness, desert. I, I wonder if for a moment you look back on your 2019, on, your, on the season of your life that feels like this. What's, what's your waste place? What's, what's your wilderness? What's, what's your desert? Maybe for some of you, you're kind of on the edge of your desert. You look back on 2019, maybe, what you've, what you've been through, you could see the green, you could see, you know, the water and the vegetation and life ahead. But you look back on that desert and you say to yourself, gosh, why did I have to go through that? What, what good could possibly come from that? It feels like it was too hot by day and it was, it was scorching and it was too cold and it was too lonely by night. I know something better is coming, but why did I have to go through that? 
Is the damage permanent? Will I recover from this? Can this thing in my path, can it be redeemed? Or maybe you're right in the middle of your desert. Whereas the person on the edge can look forward and see the green, you're right in the middle of it. And you look to your right, you look to your left, all you see is desert. You look ahead, you look behind, all you see is desert. You're stuck there in the middle of it and saying to yourself, will this ever end? How will this end? Will this be my end? Because you're thirsty, you're lonely, and you don't see hope in sight. Or maybe, maybe you haven't even entered your desert yet. Maybe it's like you're looking over a Grand Canyon and in the distance, on the horizon, you see green, you see trees, you see life, you see water, but you see this gigantic desert valley that you have to walk through before you get there. You haven't even entered that desert yet. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you know that the next season of your life, it's going to be the hardest time your marriage ever probably goes through because you know what's coming, right? Or maybe there's something at work where you're saying, if I do that thing, it's going to mean sacrifice for my family. It's going to mean having to move. It's going to mean having to lose all of my reputation. Maybe you look forward and say, my child is going to face something in the next year, in the next five years, that I don't know if I can face as a parent. I'm not equipped for that. I don't know how to deal with that. Maybe mom is getting older and more forgetful. Dad is getting sick. Maybe you are getting sick. You haven't even entered that desert yet. Wherever you are, the desert um, that was, the desert that is, or the desert that is to come, I'm sure we can all imagine ourselves in a place like that. Listen to God's promise to you in your desert. Look at what he says. He says comfort for all of her waste places, not just some of her waste places, but the very worst, the very worst moment, the very worst thing in your life, Comfort for that. He says, wilderness like Eden. Do you know what Eden is? Uh, It's the garden of the Lord. Desert like the garden of the Lord. The garden of Eden was the place that God created for human beings so that human beings could live the full abundant life that they were made to with flourishing. Everything they had was there. Everything they needed was right there for them. And most importantly, God himself, God's life was, was right there with them. They walked with them. Think about your wilderness, your desert for a moment. Can you imagine that being said about the things that you you wish never happened? Could you imagine that? That God will redeem those things, that God will turn those things into life-giving. Can you imagine that being said? That the Lord will comfort, gladness will be found, joy and gladness, life where there only is uh, death now, light where there only seems like darkness. That's the promise here. It will be redeemed. And when Jesus picks up that baby boy, he knows it. He says, now I can go in peace. Now I've seen the salvation, the light, the glory. I've seen it. Now I can go. Because I know that through this boy, redemption will happen. I've seen hope. I've seen the hope of all the earth. And I'm holding him in my hands. Your sins paid for. You, not forgotten. Every desert, even yours, will be redeemed. This is the hope. This is the hope of Christmas. This is the hope of Jesus. These are the promises. This is is the consolation of Israel. 
And it's the consolation for you as well that in the birth and the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of this is true. In him, all hope is found. In him, all of God's promises are yes. And so the question is, for each and every one of us, the question is, what do you, what do, you do with this? How do you get it? How do you live in hope like this? And the best answer I can give you is to do exactly what Simeon did. Look at what he did. He took Jesus in his arms. He praised God. He thanked God. He took him in his arms. In the, in the original Greek, this is, he embraced him. He received Jesus. The question for you, have you ever embraced Jesus? Have you received Jesus? Have you taken him into your own arms, not relying on someone else's arms to carry him for you, but have you taken him into your arms? Is he a consolation or is he your consolation? Is he a savior, a messiah over here, or is he your messiah? Is he your savior? Is he a hope, or is he your hope? Listen, as we turn the page from 2019 to 2020, I can't promise you that it'll be a better year. I can't promise that the desert won't feel just as hot and dry as it is and as desert-like it is. I, I can't promise all that. But what I can promise you, it's because God promises it to us, is that as you embrace Jesus as your Messiah, as you embrace him, you will be able to live with a hope that can endure even the worst. You can. How do you embrace Jesus? I don't have any time left to answer that question because it could take up the rest of the decade. Wait, no, that ends in a few days. It could take up the rest of the next decade, right? But I want to give you one way that you can embrace Jesus in 2020. One way. It's to read the Bible. This year, uh, Park is doing a Bible reading plan, and we're really focusing on the New Testament. Monday through Friday, we're reading the New Testament, and we're focusing in on Jesus. Um, the stories of his life, his, his, his death, his resurrection, the story of his people, the letters that were written around him. We want you to just uh, simply read the New Testament. So pick up one of these plans or on every surface out there. If you have the Park Church app or you haven't gotten it yet, get the Park Church app. When you open the app, there's a little thing on top that says, like, read the Bible. You just click it, and it, like, the reading for that day comes on your phone. It's really as simple as that. You can read it in the elevator or in the bathroom or wherever you're going to do it, right? Just read it. Because here's, here's the promise that God makes when we actually pick up his word, when we pick up scripture and read it. He draws near to us. He speaks to us. This is how in 2020, one way you can embrace Jesus as your savior. It's to pick up his book, to pick up his book and read it. Um, so take one of these and do it and read it uh, and embrace him as your Savior, as your Lord, as the salvation, as the light, as the glory that Simeon did on that day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came to us. That at Christmas time you were born as that, 
as that child. And in you, all the hope, the hope of all the earth is found. You are our strength. You are our comfort. We pray, Father, that as a community and as individuals, we would learn how to embrace you. Whether we're looking back at the desert that was or facing the desert that is or looking uh, forward to the desert that is to come. Father, we pray that you would, that we would embrace you and you, uh, that you would help us to embrace you so that we could face anything that we're facing um, not with anxiety and not with worry, not with panic, but with hope, with trust, with faith. Because even if we can't see how it's going to work, we trust in you. So we pray, Lord, for all of us that you would give us um, the ability to do that. Have your spirit rest on us as it once rested on Simeon. Lord, bless our efforts this year to actually pick up the Bible and read. We pray that you would be faithful to speak to us through that scripture, to speak to us through the stories and through the letters. Lord, please do that so that we as a community can be a people who are just embracing you as you embrace us already. So we, uh, we pray all this, Jesus, in your name, our strength, our consolation, and the hope of all the earth. Amen.